Coming up on FTC Recap, the team Cobalt Colts, world champions from Houston in 2019, join the show as we discuss the latest headlines. We talk about their engineering design process and documentation and play for $20 of trivia where you could get a $20 gift card to any FTC supplier. Oldest and more coming up on FTC Recap. Giving you a voice. Making it loud our own way. Welcome, Welcome to the fun. First Updates Now FTC is produced in partnership with the Orange Alliance. Make TOA your place to go for FTC team stats and event results at theorangealliance.org. And also, viewers like you. We need your help to keep fun loud, live, and independent. Help us by visiting our Patreon to pledge your support at patreon.com forward slash first updates now. You can also support fun live on Twitch for a few bucks a month or by linking your Prime account for free and clicking subscribe. Welcome to FTC Recap, where you get the breakdown and discussion of what's going on in the FTC community. For first updates now, I'm Ishan. Joining me is the boss. We'd like to welcome our guests, Braden and Elizabeth, from Team Cobalt Colts 6547. Cobalt Colts was the winning was the second pick of the winning alliance at the World Championship and Inspire Award finalists, both in the Rover Ruckus season. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about your roles on the team and experience in FTC? Sure, my name's Brayden, um, and I'm a member of uh, 6547 Cobalt Colts, and my role on the team is uh, Head Engineering Notebook Editor, and I also work uh, a little bit on programming, and I run our social media accounts also. My name is Elizabeth, and I run the business and PR and outreach portions of our team, as well as the engineering notebook design process. Oh, fantastic, and how long have you guys been in FTC or robotics in general? Uh, I've been involved in FTC. I'm a senior now. I've been involved with the Cobalt Colts for four years now. This is my 10th year first and my fifth year of FTC. Wow, 10th oh, year. Oh, wow. Okay. Beating me yeah. out. I think I'm at like, I was at eight when I graduated. So that's very impressive. <laughs> 20. <laughs> uh, we can't compete. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. With that being said, let's jump into our headlines. Team 14825 Assets Robotics recently released a guide on how to stream virtual events live. They have a detailed guide on how to set up OBS and use the minimum equipment to create an awesome live stream. I hope teams use this guide to show off their robots when running virtual events since FIRST has made it so it's not mandatory to record video of virtual events. Uh, going through this guide, this is so in-depth and such a good start to like it could be used not just for virtual events, it could be used for actual competitions. So I hope that areas that are not live streaming their events currently take note of this guide and use it to their advantage. What do you guys think of this? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, obviously there's, you know, uh, teams really have to recalibrate this year with virtual events. We did our scrimmage just last week and I know it was a little uh, tough figuring out like the exact video angles and stuff for our robot and it definitely wasn't perfect. But, you know, I think teams using this guide will really just improve the video quality of everything in FTC. I know last year we would often see like matches at state championships or, you know, just league meets where the whole video would be blocked by uh, the whole video would be blocked by ref standing in the way or just audience. And, you know, this would really solve a lot of those issues. Awesome. 
Um, and I put the guide in the chat if you want to uh, take a look at that. I know there are some teams talking about making a reveal and setting up a stream. So definitely take a look at that. Um, for uh, you guys, Brayden and Elizabeth, uh, are you guys doing virtual events this year? What's Kansas looking like? That's where you're from, right? Yes, we're from Kansas. We actually compete in Missouri because there's um, not enough of a FTC um you know, following in Kansas, so we jump over to Missouri to compete. Um, so far, uh, we have not competed yet, but we will be competing in a virtual league format this year. Cool. So you guys could definitely use something like this uh, at your virtual events. Abbas, want to move on to the mm -hmm. next topic? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, this is a really cool inter uh, international topic. Team 17517 uh, Wowen, which stands for Workshop of Eternal Nonsense, recently po posted a Reddit post of the first version of their robot. The plywood panels on the outside look very sleek, and this shooter is especially eye-catching. Ca eye Featuring a simple design, I think it should work well. And I, I noticed they uh, put their motors through, like, two different stages uh, of power. Like, they have the bevelly first and then chaining to the wheels and i think that's a great solution so they can make room for their odometry pods and uh, ensure a slim drivetrain right now Wolwin is three and three for this season as they competed in the st petersburg meet one in russia on october 18th and i also assume they did compete this past weekend in the st petersburg meet two so hopefully we'll see some high scores posted soon uh interesting how they're running tetrix too uh, i noticed that as well what do you guys think yeah, one of the cool things, like, I, I usually don't pick robots to show off during this headline portion, but mm -hmm. I first thought it was awesome that an international team built something like this. Uh, and you'll see it all from a lot of international teams. They'll build full custom robots because they have very limited access to things like Tetrix and Rev and GoBuilder, yeah. stuff that we take for granted as United States teams. Uh, another thing that I noticed that was really cool, they actually belt their drivetrain motor to their intake. So as they drive forward, their intake activates. And when they drive backwards, their intake ejects. I don't know whether this might have some implications in driving, but I thought that was a kind of cool approach to um, trying to make your robot smaller, lighter, and more efficient. Um, yeah. I know a lot of teams this year... Like they're looking to combine, uh, you know, their intakes with their, their conveyor system, or you know, feeding up to the indexer and shooter. I think this is just taking it one step further, really, and we'll see, you know, how well it works out the rest of the season. Yeah, and, Brandon, and Elizabeth, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's really interesting design. It's um, interesting to see how like they're trying to get the rings up into the shooting shooting mechanism. That's kind of similar to what we our team is thinking about uh, in taking right off the ground and directly into our shooting mechanism. So that's a really cool design. Yeah, somebody in the chat said all this, but Tetrix motors, and you just have to think, <laughs> right? Like a lot of these teams just don't have access to it. So these motors may have been passed down from multiple teams. Uh, the fact that first limits the motors that we can use and all the companies that make those motors are like very heavily United States based, it makes it super difficult for international teams. And so they have to use whatever they can get their hands on. Um, yeah, and this I, just goes I to show that you can have a good implementation even without the best motors. Yeah. Should we go on to our next headline, Nishan? Yep. So recently there was a new page added to the FTC wiki that documents the FTC control system. This page covers how to use TensorFlow, a built-in library, a software library, to detect everyday objects and train your own neural networks to detect things with your FTC phone camera. This software was first added in Rover Ruckus to detect the sampling field and can be used to detect the rings in the starter stack this year. 
if you're using TensorFlow or some other software, um, it might run a little slower from my experience. I don't know. Are any of you guys using TensorFlow? Have you guys tried it out, especially for this year? I haven't. So uh, We haven't tried TensorFlow out for this year. We're actually using our own custom pipeline. But I, I have heard like some talk about TensorFlow like from our uh, mentors and things like that. And I think one thing first changed this year is like it's a lot or the zoom feature actually works. So you can detect like rings and objects from like five to 10 feet away. So, you know, that might have some implications and tally up whether, you know, you decide to use vision detection there or not. What about you guys? Have you guys done a lot of vision? I, I know in Rover Ruckus, you were able to hit the sampling field and TensorFlow was initially released for that sampling field. Do you guys know what you used uh, in the past and what you're planning on using this year? Um, I don't remember specifically. I'm not heavily involved in programming, but I believe it might have been TensorFlow that we used that uh, that season. Um, I think we're using Vuforia also. Um, and I don't remember exactly the systems that our programming team is using, but um, we're, we're able to scan the rings so far this year, so we're making good progress. I know we spent a lot of time last year trying to figure out colors and stuff like that mm -hmm. with a complicated program. Awesome. Uh, Abbas, want to move on? Sure. So uh, our next headline for the night is from Team 10100 from Wisconsin. They recently made a calculator for this year's game, Ultimate Goal. It features a versus and remote calculator, so for both physical and virtual competitions, scouting options, and can access team statistics directly from the Orange Alliance. I think it's going to be an incredibly useful tool when physical competitions start back up and during these virtual competitions. Personally, I really like the ability to run offline like as an app, and I can't wait to try the team scouting option. Any thoughts, guys? Yeah, uh, when I saw this, like, I've seen a ton of scouting apps and scoring apps, and I'm sure it's the same case, like, every year, right? I made one, I think, every year for the past two or three years. Um, but the thing that really set this apart was it was able to import data from TOA. Um, I have not seen an app do that very efficiently and be able to display it. That way you can compare data that TOA has with your data. Uh, just something I noticed. Uh, how do you guys do scouting? I don't know if you guys are the necessary experts, but do you have an idea of how you've been doing that at competitions? We've tried to do uh, quite a bit of scouting, like growth through the years we've been an FTC team. Uh, there was an app that some of us used, but it was only available on Samsung. So we switched to using a Google form, uh, which created kind of a master list in Google Sheets, which we use um, towards the end in the alliance selection parts. Cool. Uh, I like to see a lot of teams moving over to digital because then that makes the information a lot easier to manipulate and perform stats on. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one thing with like physical sheets for scouting though is it is a lot easier to draw like, you know, auto paths or uh, driving strategy and things like that. And that was something that was really important last year and I think will be equally important uh, this year. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so some, uh, Something that our coder did last year was make a custom vision software for Vuforia and non-bot Java. This is what Batboy says in 20, uh, Batboy 2021 says in the chat. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of teams that have done custom vision softwares without using OpenCV or on-bot Java, or OpenCV or Vuforia. And uh, there's a lot of tuning that goes into that. So it's very impressive, but it can be a time sink. So um, going through and at least prototyping with the existing libraries can be very helpful, and then working your way to making that custom is definitely something really cool to try out. Um, 
So our last headline for today is Kraken Pinion. Uh, they set up a localization algorithm that uses modern robotic sensors to make their robot return to the same position on the field every time. They, can use, they use these sensors in combination with an uh, IMU sensor in order to get a coordinate position and orientation on the field uh, that they can go to. Uh, what do you think of this? Like They're literally able to lift the robot off the ground and it will still return to the same position, something you couldn't do with odometry. Um, I was a little surprised because there are some bugs that you can run into this. Like If a robot gets in the way, um, it could mess up the sensors, but I don't know what you guys think. Is it not also supplemented by odometry? Because I know they have had, like, you know, they, they're pretty big into odometry. I thought it was, I, I could be wrong, but I thought it was also supplemented um, by odometry. I do not believe that this one is supplemented by odometry. This one is just using a bare Schaefer chassis kit from what I can see right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, in that case, I, I think I share the same concerns with you, Sean. Like, when we go to physical competitions, how will it react to other robots? You know, uh, obviously there's going to be the robot in their alliance, but also robots on the other alliances, I think motions could get pretty close this year uh, when both going in the middle or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, our robot right now uh, is able to, at the end of autonomous, return back to the starting point. Um, I don't remember exactly what software our programmers used to do that, but I saw this video of Kraken Pinion the other day, and that's really impressive how even uh, being able to lift the robot up and put it back on the ground, <laughs> it's still able to track yeah. where it is, so that's really cool. Yeah, for yep. sure. Mm -hmm. So that's going to wrap up our headlines. Let's move into our next section. Let's discuss that. All right, for those of you just joining us, our guests on the show tonight are from Team 6547, the Cobalt Colts. They were world champions and Inspire Award finalists at the Houston World Championship in 2019. If you have any questions for them, tag at First Updates now in the chat with your question. To start us off, could you tell us a little bit about your team? Where are you from? How did you guys start out? How many members are on your team? So we're the Cobalt Colts. We have about 11 members. Uh, we're mostly all seniors. And, you know, we, we prioritize not not winning, but being gracious professional. Cool. Awesome. So uh, I know you guys mentioned you're all seniors. Do you guys have any plans for sustainability or, you know, what's the plan going forward for the team? You know, with COVID, it kind of messed everything up. We were originally supposed to start a rookie team this year, um, but we thought that wouldn't be a super good idea with the pandemic. Right. Um, so at the end of the year, we're planning on doing a bunch of recruiting or hopefully throughout this year. And then over the summer, kind of training them with a program, uh, we build Halloween costumes, uh, for kids, uh, in wheelchairs. And so we're hoping to use that over the summer as an experience to transition them into the engineering world. Oh, wow. Really cool. Yeah. So, uh, let's start with the beginning of the season you guys have obviously built very successful robots each season and what does the design process look like for your team you know right after the game is released how does the brainstorm brainstorming process look and what about even the documentation of all of it 
Uh, yeah, so typically we attend a event with Missouri and Kansas teams to watch the reveal video together. Uh, obviously this year uh, that's not possible, so we watch the ultimate goal reveal from our robotic space. And then after the reveal, we always host a long uh, brainstorming session. So we have a bunch of whiteboards um, throughout our, our robotic space and we kind of break up into groups. So typically we've kind of um, identified who's kind of good at building intakes, who's good at building um, like the shooting mechanism specifically for this year, um, who's good at building like this, the other mechanisms like this year, for, like the wobble goal grabber. So we kind of divide up into groups based on like, you know, what do we think who do we think will be best at building this specific mechanism? And then uh, each kind of subgroup talks uh, together and basically brainstorms uh, crazy as crazy ideas as they can come up with. And then um, by the end of that brainstorming day, we kind of hope to have a plan going forward of like what, what are the three or four prototypes that we want to start building? And then we'll use typically just any parts we have laying around uh, to make our first few prototypes. And then once we kind of um, decide which designs are the best that we want to move forward with, uh, then we will start actually ordering parts or fabric fabricating specific parts uh, for those designs. Oh, awesome. And, you know, with documenting that, do you guys just, is it just, you know, taking pictures of everything, having everybody write notebook entries? How does that stuff work? Yeah, so we use a Google form that is required at the end of every meeting. So everyone who's at the meeting has to fill out that Google form. Otherwise, if they don't fill it out, they don't get to uh, start on their projects next time until wow. they fill that out. So that's how we enforce that everyone contributes to the notebook. Um, and then obviously we're all kind of, uh, Elizabeth and I being the two kind of engineering notebook people, uh, we walk around and we uh, take photos of what people are doing and that kind of feeds uh, collectively those photos that we take and the um, that daily log form that takes in like what everyone got done and any problems and solutions that they encountered and what they uh, hope to accomplish in the future, those things all together kind of form um, our daily log section, which is then used to make our other sections of our notebook. Cool, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the documentation as we get later into this design process journey that I wanna take us on. Um, so you talked about how you do all the brainstorming and you split it up into subsystems. Then I really wanna talk about uh, fabrication, but before we do that, we're going to be having trivia for $20. You're going to be playing against a boss in fun trivia at the end of the show. Uh, so if you want to play for a chance to win $20, uh, join our Discord through the link in the chat. And then you can join the call-in channel queue. And we will pick some members to come play trivia against a boss. So with that being said, um, I wanted to get more into your prototyping and fabrication process. I think that's the key to a lot of teams' success is how well they can put together prototypes. Um, what do you make your prototypes out of? Is it mainly kits parts or do you like to do a lot of custom parts? Um, how does that process work for you guys? We, we love GoBuilda. So after we've kind of drawn on the whiteboards, like Brayden said, and kind of prototype ideas, we kind of use just what, what is around in our, in our headquarters, put it together, make iterations. A big part of our process is trying and failing. And our motto is, uh, succeed faster you know uh fail fast succeed faster <laughs> and um so we we last year we went through three iterations between each competition um to get to try to get the perfect um mechanism for what we're making Brandon, do you have anything to add to that 
Yeah, I just would like to highlight that last year, uh, Elizabeth touched on this, but every competition that we went to, we brought a slightly different robot to. So between every competition, um, we kind of rebuilt parts of our robot. We didn't necessarily do a, a full rebuild, but we kind of had mechanisms in mind, like an early and then by the end of the year, we had developed um, our blue scissor lift that ended up, uh, that's what we took to the state competition. Um, so that just kind of shows how our team kind of does things in modules. So we're thinking about, okay, what are our short-term goals? And then what are our longer-term goals? And how can we um, change those short-term goals in order to um, accomplish what we want to accomplish in the long-term? So. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, speaking of long term, let's talk about some final fabrication. So looking at your Rover Ruckus and Skystone robots, it seems like you guys have a lot of 3D printed parts and custom parts. And so what do you guys use for your machinery to make your final robot? Do you stick to a lot of, you know, go build a kit parts or do you do some 3D printing and custom through, you know, aluminum, polycarbonate, what have you? Yeah, so since we're now a neighborhood team and we're not funded by our school district, we don't have access to a lot of advanced tools like CNC machines um, or other tools like laser cutters. So we basically follow the motto of if a part already exists, what, what, why reinvent the wheel? So if there's something that we can build using Go Builder parts or other parts that we have or that we can easily order, then we do that. But if we have a very specialized part um, that that can't be easily made with with existing parts, then we'll turn to 3D printing. Um, and then in uh, specifically during Rover Ruckus, um, our our intake for the um, minerals. We actually designed that and then we sent it to a company to have them fabricate it for us. Um, out of Lexan. Oh, wow. So that was really cool because since we don't have access to those advanced tools in our robotic space, we were able to reach out to a, a local company and have them fabricate uh, that for us. And that obviously is what you what you see um, when we competed on at Minute Maid Park. Really cool. Oh, that, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, with us in 3101, since we're from the same school, like all of our stuff, uh, you know, we make ourselves. But I think it's equally as important learning, you know, the whole business aspect of connecting with sponsors and establishing connections in the business community, you know, to find uh, industrial companies and things like that who will fabricate these parts. That's really mm -hmm. impressive, guys. Yeah. And, and so we talked a little bit about like how you between competitions iterate. Um, is there a process that you guys go through to evaluate what changes you want to make? Or is it just like, this didn't work, time to fix it? Like, w what does that process look like for you guys? We try to record every match we do at competitions and even just at headquarters. And if something's going wrong, multiple times especially, we're like, we have to fix this. Um, and even if it happens once, if you don't know what the problem is, it might happen again, you know? Sure. And, uh, you know, speaking of recording matches, what do you guys do for practicing? You know, like, I know some teams, they'll just, you know, run matches. Others will, you know, be really strict with the timers, penalties, everything. And, you know, others will track every stat. Uh, where do you guys fit in with that? I think as we approach uh, competition time, we get a lot more diligent about, like, recording, like, actually going for the the proper amount of time, like 30 seconds of Auton and that kind of thing. Sure. But what, when we're in the early stages of our, our, our like, robot development, we kind of just test it when it's ready to right. be tested, obviously. And then um, kind of once we hit a stage where we think the robot is competition ready, then we'll put it to the test in actual, um, like, scrutinized matches where we'll score it, we'll count penalties, those kind of things. Okay. Well, 
so my next question is about your engineering notebook and engineering documentation. You guys recently released a very lengthy video uh, about the engineering notebook and engineering uh, documentation this year. And do you want to talk us through a little bit about your process for documenting exactly what your team does and you know how you keep members accountable and make sure you're getting you know the best information and things like that? Yeah, sure. So I mentioned this a little bit, uh, but we use a Google form um, that basically um, is required of everyone who's at the meeting and that collects uh, data basically about what each person accomplished, any problems that they had and how they solved them and what they want to accomplish in the future. And essentially that feeds the rest of our engineering notebook. So we use Google Drive to, we have a shared folder with everyone. So all that data from that Google form is then uh, put into different documents to like kind of organize all of our information. So we have like a lengthy daily log. And then from that, Elizabeth and I pull that information and put it into like summary sections. So we'll have like a section that summarizes our robot development. We'll have a section that summarizes our programming, our outreach efforts, our business plan, that kind of thing. And then our final version of our engineering notebook is put into Adobe InDesign, which allows us to implement our team theme and use templates. And it's a really easy tool to use and has a lot of features that um, allows for page formatting. So our steps are basically a Google form, then goes into Google Docs where Elizabeth and I kind of shuffle through the information and organize it. And then it, the final version um, gets put into Adobe InDesign to create the uh, final pages. Oh, that's, that's really impressive. I know. For us, um, we just do everything directly in Adobe InDesign, and you know, like we make the templates at the beginning of the year, and then just you know use those for the rest of the season. I definitely think it can get a little bit confusing every time figuring out you know who has the most recent file or what's exactly where. So I think that's the Google, you know, the first Google Docs idea, and then going into InDesign is a really good suggestion uh, for teams out right, there. Right, especially and since I you guys. Yes. Yeah, especially yeah. since Adobe InDesign isn't quite as easy to collaborate with. Um, like sure. Google Docs, you can have people on the same document at the same time. And InDesign, it's a little harder to set that up. So that's kind of why we collaborate in Google Drive and then put the final version into InDesign. Sure. Really? And uh, how long have your notebooks been, like usually? And are you guys planning on doing a notebook this year or just the engineering document? Yeah, so typically um, in the four years I've been in FTC, we typically have two binders, uh, one that is technical and one that's non-technical. Um, so all of our, our technical robot, CAD programming, stuff like that goes into our um, technical binder. And then the second binder has all of our outreach efforts, info about our team, business plan, that kind of stuff. And we are planning to create an engineering notebook for this year, although we know it's not required. We think it's a good a good thing to practice because as we understand it, um, if judges want to seek more information from your team, it's a nice resource to have avail available in addition to the engineering portfolio. Yep. Cool. Uh, so we had a section about awards. I'm gonna get to that later um, because I know that you guys do a lot of outreach on your team. Um, and so just looking at it, I. On your website, you have three main things that were featured. One is medical outreach, one is go build a guide, and one is face shields. So could you talk a little bit about each one? And I've got some specific questions, but just could you give us an overview of these three programs? Yeah, Bryn, do you want to talk about the go build a guide? Yeah, sure. So um, essentially we saw, a f this actually started um, during Sky Zone. We saw that um, 
both Rev and Tetrix had a basically a, a basic bot guide available for teams to use that uh, so rookie teams can basically build a, a, a basic drivetrain and then a basic mechanism that goes along with that for the game. And we decided, we, since we love GoBuilda so much and they're a sponsor of our team, we really wanted to put one out there that, that teams who want to use GoBuilda parts could use. So GoBuilda sent us a um, GoBuilda Master FTC kit, and then we worked on designing a simple drivetrain. And then uh, we also put together an instruction manual, and that's available on our website. And then this year, we decided to add to that. We created a... Um, a game-specific guide that I believe is on screen now that basically is a mechanism uh, that we created the first week after kickoff, which basically allows you to pick up the um, rings and place them into the local. So now uh, with these two build guides for any rookie teams who are struggling with how to start, um, those are available on our website if you'd like to take a look through those uh, and try building just a simple drivetrain and a simple mechanism. Yeah, that's really cool. That's similar to what we did. Uh, I know in the past, not this year, but in the past couple of years, we've always done like a robot in three days where mm -hmm. we're just trying to build using the Go Build a Kit only and make it so then any team could just build off of that. Uh, so really cool stuff there. So on your face shields, um, you guys took a very different approach than what I've seen for a lot of teams. Uh, you guys were making face shields, obviously, to help... Um, with COVID measures and you, instead of like just 3D printing the frames, uh, you made resin molded frames. Do you guys know about that uh, and how, why you chose that? If you don't, that's probably um, fine. I know that our coach initially was the one who found the idea to do those resin um, molded face shields. And that was simply because not all of our team members had access to 3D printers. So that was an easy way for all of our team members to get involved. Uh, our coach kind of distributed the materials needed to make those. And then we all um, were all pitching in on making those resin molded shields. And then uh, by the end of the summer, once COVID had spread a lot more, um, we actually did start making 3D printed face shields because they were a little faster to make. And then we also, uh, by the end of, uh, by the time schools started up, we realized that a lot of schools would need face shields. So what we did is we um, set up a GoFundMe to raise money, and then we used that money to uh, buy 3D printers to actually send to the schools themselves with some some filament and some some instructions so that they could make as many face shields as they needed. So the project started out kind of simply as these resin molded face shields to distribute to distribute to medical professionals and it kind of took the, it uh, throughout the summer we developed it more through 3d printing and then eventually sending 3d printers to schools to use so it, it ended up um, being uh, a much wider spread process and um, it, it was it became a lot more than what we had originally intended and that was awesome so is the design here like wow. supposed to be reflective of a horseshoe or anything like that because it kind of looks like think, one so i was wondering if the theme yeah is there. that's what it looks like it it really does i don't think that was the intention um but i i, I see what you mean us being the cobalt colts that's kind of um coincidental that it worked out that way but yeah i think that's a common design that uh most teams have been printing out i know yeah. i was printing in my basement for a very mm -hmm. long time or they're just big yeah. fans of the Cobalt Colts. Can we disagree on that? Sure. <laughs> I, I could say that we are big fans of the Cobalt Colts. <laughs> All right. Um, so is there any other like outreach initiatives that you guys thought were cool? Uh, how do you guys come up with outreach initiatives? I know brainstorming on those 
can be very difficult, especially since it feels like everybody has already done everything. Uh, so <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about that process if you know more about it? One of the biggest outreach projects we've been doing is we partnered with United Healthcare, who's our sponsor, and we created a 501c3 to um, help youth get access to STEM. Um, and it started out in Kansas, it spread to Nebraska, but not everyone has the resources and the money um, to start FTC or any kind of STEM like project. So getting involved in that, really we, we relied on a sponsor getting us involved, uh, pitching to them, creating that process. For a lot of our other ones, it's usually just what inspires us. Uh, we, we created a program with Ronald McDonald House um, just because you know, some of us have had interactions with them and we just wanted to start interacting with different programs. So that's how we get involved in a lot of our outreach events. Wow, awesome. That's really incredible. And do you guys have any other like recurring outreach events that you do, you know, every year? Um, over the summer, some of us volunteer with first camps. Um, and then we have a bunch of little summer camps that we do, um, helping small businesses teach kids over long weekends. So we do a lot of that stuff too. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Awesome. So I want to now talk a little bit more about the judging side and how you guys approach awards. Um, so how do you guys approach them? I mean, there are seven awards, like, how do you juggle that? Um, and how do you prep for them and set yourselves apart? Because in order to be an Inspire finalist, you have to set yourself apart. Um, so could you talk a little bit about that? If I could give any advice to a rookie team or any team, it would just be to have a presence at any competition. I think what helps us stand out is that we're really involved at our competitions. We're like... We have the sparkly blue hats with the lights um, where we try to go around and helping everyone. You know, um, having a presence really sets you apart. You also have to have the, the documentation. Um, ours is, I think, ridiculously long. So laying that out for the judges to <laughs> look at it um, logically and not read 400 pages. Um, but, and then the robot part, we just try you know, so we're not a super competitive team, but we just have a lot of fun, and that's that's kind of what has helped us win. Yeah, I would agree with those three aspects. You know, having an organized engineering notebook that that judges can, you know, see what's the most important information in a short amount of time, and that's something I really like about the engineering portfolio this year, is because it, it allows or it basically requires that teams share the most important information in a, in, in a concise way. And then also, like Elizabeth said, demonstrating gracious professionalism and having a presence at competitions goes a long way. So that's a, a piece of advice I think we would give to rookie teams is to just try and get involved, volunteer at competitions, even if you're not um, like participating or competing in that event, just uh, showing your support and your presence at competitions is a big deal. And then also just having a robot that works reliably well and a kind of uh, the approach that we take with our robot design is to try and be the best alliance partner that we can be. We don't necessarily want to be the best alliance captain, but we want to be the best robot that can work well with an alliance captain. So we always kind of think, you know, which autonomous path can we take that will not be the most common path or what what can we do during teleop that that can assist um, a robot that might be better than ours. So that's kind of our approach, um, and that's that's proven to um, work for us pretty well. So, is really that cool. why you guys focused on depot 
uh, in Ropa Ruckus. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, in every year, there is a dominant and a subdominant like robot on the field, right? Like, there was mm -hmm. the fact in Ropa Ruckus, one played Depot, one played Crater. Uh, last year, one was a feeder, one was a stacker. Um, so, yeah. Picking that strategy of going to be a second or being a pick um, and rather than always trying to be an alliance captain can definitely be really helpful. And there's a mm -hmm. lot of young teams that end up doing really well because of that. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, we had a question from the chat. Elon9421 asks, what music does your team listen to? <laughs> Elizabeth, would you like to answer that? <laughs> um, well, I control the speakers in our headquarters or when I... Uh, I usually play the Toad um, from YouTube, so just really obnoxious songs. Um, Logically, uh, they like to listen to pop songs, but I like listening to, to Toad screaming in our ears. But. Yeah, whenever Elizabeth has control of the speakers, it's always unpredictable, but usually we do listen to music during our, our meetings. Not always, but most of the time we have background music going. And it's usually a little crazy if Elizabeth is the one controlling it. <laughs> I know last year we, we had a playlist for our team and one of the songs that instantly got banned because of the number of times it was played was Life is a Highway. We heard that song at <laughs> least 50 times within like the span of eight hours and we were just so done with it. Uh, um, but I do agree with Bat Boy in the chat. Crab Rave, the B-movie, the Duck Song, anime intros, all top-notch for NPC team. Yes. Tyler, you had a question at the end? Yeah, so uh, earlier you guys mentioned, of course, with you being at Minimade Park uh, for finals. You know, of course, last year first said that, you know, that the large venue is going to be done, right? No more Minimade Park, no more uh, Ford Field. So I'll ask you, uh, both of you, as, you know, somebody who's been on a team that's been down at the finals, uh, if – you know, in the future, your finals would be just where, you know, the two FTC divisions were, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel that that would be a different impact at all uh, to how it was? Or, um, you know, the way I kind of look at it is, you know, FTC at Minimate, it was cool to be in the bigger stadium, but FTC tends to be a little bit smaller. And in, 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 I, I feel from FRC perspective, sometimes gets overshadowed a little bit because of the size of it. Are you looking more forward to actually having a small venue or did you like the large Minute Maid Park? I would agree with you in saying that I think FRC gets a lot of the attention at Minute Maid, um, just because you look on the other side of the, the baseball field and you see the bigger field. And uh, I think just FRC uh, gets a lot more attention uh, on Minute Maid. But I, I wasn't personally on the field for the matches. I, was, I went on the field um, after we um, won the second match. But I would say it was really cool to be there. Uh, it was it was such an amazing experience. But I do think that the smaller venue might be a little bit better, just so it can be a little more focused on FTC. Uh, although it's awesome to be uh, uh, competing in front of thousands of people in a, in a huge stadium, I think it's it's a lot of pressure. Definitely, it is uh, probably a once in a lifetime experience, but I, I think the smaller venue might actually be a little bit better. And actually you bring up something interesting because uh, I guess they didn't fully, did, did they fully release what they were doing for FTC in the finals? Like, is it going to be combined with FRC or is it going to be fully separate? It was supposed to be fully separate. fully separate. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I do, I do recall seeing that. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, any, any thoughts from you on that? Would you prefer the larger venue or do you like the idea of what first is moving towards? I think I disagree with Braden. I thought um, I was on the field the whole time. It was 
one of the best moments in my life. And they played fireworks afterwards and we were dancing on the screen. So I would definitely, I was disappointed when they, when they changed that because of, you know, the feel. I think there was a lot of chaos, yes, and FRC gets overshadowed, but it was one of the most fun days of my life, so. Yeah, I would agree that the fireworks on, uh, being able to watch the fireworks from the field was was probably uh, one of the most memorable moments. So, yeah, I agree that, that uh, it's kind of sad to see that go, but there might be some positives that come out of that. Yeah. Meanwhile, at Ford Field, uh, you guys are all Houston people. Meanwhile, at Ford Field, <laughs> we get stuck with the small football stadium. No, no fireworks. I got to go on the field in 2018, and yeah, it was fun. But I just wish they had gotten it over with. That way, I could go to bed. On the other hand, you didn't have uh, potential sunlight coming in and being shined upon on the field. Messing right. up, yeah. messing up the true. CV. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we also, that year, I think there was so much static. Like, if you just, like, walked and touched the field, you were going to have a huge shock. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, out of the two matches that were played, both of them had dead robots for at least some portion of the match, um, at least in FTC and FRC, in actually, Relic that year recovery. as well. In Relic Recovery, there was... Uh, yeah, two out of were... the three matches were disconnected robots. And yeah. same with same with FRC that year um, with Power Up. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Not a great time, yeah. but that I think that's another reason why they're trying to shift away from it. That way, they can have a more repeatable and reliable. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not the money or anything like that. All I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I will put it in. The Don't worry. I'm sure. I'm sure your championship discount will be in the mail later too. <laughs> <laughs> all right we're now gonna switch over to some trivia uh we've got some ftc themed trivia tyler do we have somebody on the call uh yeah we actually have uh we have trishula is back so uh, is ocean is that right yep all right so is back once again to the play and looking for some revenge <laughs> i think right so indeed yeah so no doubt so we're gonna play against a boss on there so i'm just gonna go over how it's uh read and then uh Ishan, are you cool reading off the questions yep i can do that okay cool um so uh real quick for trivia for everybody just a reminder we're gonna have five questions uh on here once again uh you can uh answer them as quickly as possible or you can choose to pass and we'll come back to them if uh if i remember or in this case if Ishan remembers because i always forget that so um but once again it is uh timed and our tiebreaker is time as well too so you need to go as quickly as possible uh but of course uh ocean you know how to do this uh already and then uh once we're done we'll go back through so we're gonna ask that uh, boss make sure he meets the stream so he can't hear anything uh, on here, and we'll give him a big wave once we're ready to come back. All right. So, are you ready for your round number two of trivia? I am. All right. Let's give it a shot. And on you, Sean. All right. In three, two, one. In which FTC game were hockey pups used as the main scoring element? Um, Hotshot. Who's the director of FTC? <laughs> Team Gaiman. <laughs> in what game were Vu marks or Vuforia targets first introduced? Uh, Velocity Vortex. Which game was the first game to have fields made by Andy Mark? Quad Quandry. According to the Orange Alliance, how many active FTC teams are there right now? Closest wins. Uh, three thousand two hundred fifty. And that is time. All right, let's give uh, a boss here a big wave and bring him back on. 
do that. Oshin, how did you feel you did? Hello? I know I got at least two of those wrong. Fair enough. Oh, on there. So we'll, that's, that's not bad, you know, based on how some of the other people do. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Your turn, uh, Abbas. Uh, Sean, whenever you're ready. All right. All right. Abbas, I'm going to get started in three, two, one. In which FTC game were hockey pucks used as the scoring element? Oh, gosh. Uh, Cascade Effect? Who is the director of FTC? Ken Johnson. In what game were Vumarks first introduced? Ooh. Is it... I think Velocity Vortex? Which game was the first game to have fields made by Andy Mark? Uh, I don't know. Cascade Effect. Say that again. According to the Orange Alliance, how many active FTC teams are there right now? Closest wins. Uh, like 4, 4,000, 4,500, uh, like 4,250. And that is time. This one's going to be right. close. This one's going to be really close. Uh, let's go through this. So the first question was, in what game were hockey pucks used as the main scoring element? And the answer that Abbas gave was Cascade Effect. Uh, Ocean said Hot Shot. The correct answer was face-off. Uh, I think that was the 2009 game right before Hot Shot. Uh, who's the director of FTC? Um, Abbas said Ken Johnson. Our guest said Dean Kamen. It is, in fact, Ken Johnson. Uh, he gives a speech at Championship every year, and he's the one who announced virtual events. Uh, in which game were Vumarks first introduced? And both of you guys said Velocity Vortex, and both of you guys would be correct. So right now, Abbas is up two points to one point. Um, which game was the first game to have fields made by Andy Mark? And a boss said Cascade Effect. Our guest said Quadrant Quandary. The correct answer was Block Party. Uh, before then, they actually mm. used like PVC tubing. That way, anybody could build a field just using Home Depot parts. Um, and now our final question. According to the Orange Alliance, how many active FTC teams are there right now? Closest wins. A boss said 4,250. Our guest said 3,250. The correct answer was 3,680. So our guest wins that point. That makes it a 2-2 tie. So we're going to go to time as our final tiebreaker. There was a total of two and a half seconds in between these answers. <laughs> and one person had 41.33 seconds. One person had 38.78 seconds. Actually, three and a half seconds. Um, and the winner... With 38.78 seconds was a boss. Oh. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so close. So close. Oh, <laughs> Thanks for playing, though, once again, man. Uh, wow. What a close one. And it's going to bump up trade to $30 next time. Appreciate it. But, hey, good job all the way around, guys. Yeah. Thanks for playing. Awesome. And that's going to wrap up trivia for today. Make sure to tune in next time. That way you can have a chance to win $30. Boss, want to close us off with our social media? Sure. So thank you, everybody, for all the follows and subscriptions we received today. Don't forget that you can subscribe for free if you or your parents have Amazon Prime. We hope you enjoyed this episode of FTC Recap. I know I did interviewing Cobalt Colts. If you want to stay connected with what First Updates Now, with what First Updates Now FTC is doing, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram with the handle at FunFTC. And join our Discord through the link in the chat.
On behalf of myself, Abbas, and our producer, Tyler, working behind the scenes, we'd love to thank you for tuning in. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you want more fun content, be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to be notified about our latest videos. Thanks to all of our co-executive producers on Patreon and Tier 2 Plus subscribers on Twitch, keeping fun loud, live, and independent.